Thank you for listening in to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. Our current sermon series is from the book of 1 Corinthians. For more information, visit our website at cumberlandcornerstone.org. Turn with me now this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I got to tell you right off the top, if you were just picking a passage of scripture to preach from, this probably would not be one you picked. All right, and it's, but as you study through a book, you come across uh, passages of Scripture that, that uh, need to be looked at and need to be shared, and we find one of those here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and uh, comes on the heels of this discussion on Christian liberty. Paul now begins to speak to us about uh, women in worship. And, uh, and what is the role of women? And this is not uh, going to be an a in-depth look at that. There are other passages that speak about that as well. But Paul writes this, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions just as I deliver them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. For if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman comes from man, even so man also comes through woman. But all things are from God. Judge among yourselves, is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. As we come here to chapter 11, we see Paul now turning to the next major section of the book. And uh, this passage, this entire passage, the the entire chapter 11, can actually be related back to the Christian liberties, or it can also be really related to this new section that Paul is going to talk about. And he is going to deal with disorder in worship, and where we kind of get ourselves out of line with worship. And Paul is going to deal with problems at the Lord's table. We're going to look at that next week. But here he begins to deal with the issue of women in worship in verses 2 through 16. And he, he wants to talk about that and relate it really to Christian liberty and relate it also to disorder within the church. Christian liberty in Christ has raised a lot of questions, and we've talked about them over the last few weeks. Uh, But here is another one. What about, what role do women play within the church? You know, it's very clear, and Paul has made it very clear, and Scripture makes it very clear, that salvation is for both men and women. 
Remember Paul said, slave and free, Jew, Gentile, man, woman, we are all one in Christ. All, both men and women are set free in Christ. Both are brought into a new relationship with God. Both share in that new position as children of God, as, as the Bible calls us, sons of God. Both are recipients of spiritual gifts, and we both, men and women, have a ministry to use those gifts within the church to the rest of the body. But the question that Paul is going to address here, does that radically change the social order of things? Does salvation change things as far as men and women are concerned? Uh, are, are women now to be like the men in the church? Since we are one in Christ, since there is no distinction, since, since we are all children of God, should not then women look like the men in the church and act like the men in the church? And, you know, evidently that was happening here in the church of Corinth. In that culture, and again, some of this is cultural, and, and it's not for uh, in our culture today, but we can learn a great lesson from it. In that culture, evidently, some of the women within the church were re removing their veils, their head coverings, uh, when the church met for public worship. And Paul now will speak to that question. And he doesn't really see this as an insignificant matter, and we should not see this as an insignificant matter as well. Uh, you know, the, Paul says this is now not a change in the way things are, are done be, just be simply because you're saved. Uh, it's a recognition of the order of all things. And it's a recognition of the way God has ordained things. And so as we try to work our way through this, I remember and it just reminds you that the Christian liberty issue of meat offered to idols was not our issue, Right? We don't deal with that, but we could learn from that and we can apply it to the issues of our day. Women having their heads covered when they come to worship is not our issue today, all right? It is not our custom. It is not in our social status. However, we can see and we can learn some great and valuable lessons from this passage of scripture about men and women in Christ. And so let's dig into it a little bit this morning as we try to, to find out what we have here. First of all, we have the precept. Paul begins in verses 2 and 3 with a precept. And he begins actually in verse 2 by praising the Corinthians for those things that they were doing right. Now, whenever someone comes and says to you, hey, I want you to know that you really are doing well in this area, sometimes you think what? Uh-oh, something else is coming, right? You know, because there's usually that, however. And that's kind of what we have here in chapter 11, verse 2. Uh, Paul says to them in verse 2, I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things, and you keep the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Paul praises them for, the, for, for what they are doing right. And they were, for the most part, keeping the instructions of Paul, keeping the things that Paul had taught them. And they were doing what was right when they came to worship the Lord. And they were serving the Lord. And there were some issues he's going to deal with and has already dealt with. But Paul says, you have kept the traditions there in verse 2. The traditions seem to be the oral instructions of, that Paul had given to them while he was with them. Remember, they did not have a 
copy of the New Testament to look at. They did not have a, a completed Bible, even a Gideon Bible to, to look at. No, they, they had been taught by oral tradition. And Paul says, you are keeping those things. You are, you are keeping them and you are acting in obedience to them. And for that, I praise you. Well done. Good job. Uh, but evidently, there were some things that had not been made clear. There were some things that maybe we're not quite sure of. And Paul now wants to make sure they understand certain things. He's going to deal with the Lord's table. He's, and he's going to deal here with this issue uh, with women in the church. And he wants to correct some problems so that disorder does not reign in the church. Evidently, there was some disorder in the church at Corinth. And it had to do with these two areas. The, the one we're going to look at next week with the Lord's table and the one here this morning. And what he says to the church is this. There is a truth. There is a doctrine. There is a precept that I need to make clear to you here in the church. And the functional problem that is going on, the disorder that is going on within the church is a result of a lack of understanding of this biblical doctrine, of this biblical precept. And he shares that with them now in verse 3. And he always, Paul always builds upon scriptural truth. This is not just Paul's thoughts. He always builds upon scriptural truth, on biblical principles. And here he speaks to us about the principle of headship. And what we need to understand, when we read verse 3, it says this, I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. That is a biblical precept. God has established order within his creation. God has established the order of authority even within his creation. And that order is an unchanging precept. The cultural shift might not be ours for today. The issue might not be women wearing head coverings or the length of your hair or anything along those lines. But what God wants us to see and what Paul wants us to see is that God has established an order in his creation, an order of authority, and it is for all time. It is not something that comes and goes. It is not something that goes away because our culture, you know, doesn't want to see that anymore. This is God's precept. This is God's doctrine. This is the doctrine of headship. And so this is for us here today. And notice the doctrine of headship as we think about it here this morning. First of all, he says to us, the head of every man, verse 2, verse 3, excuse me, is Christ. He wants us to know the head of each one of us is Christ. The head of man is Christ. The word head there means supremacy. All right? And it is one who stands over another in the sense of being their basis of being, if you will. Christ is the head of man for all have come from him. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 says all things were created from him. Uh, John 1, which we, we saw in the video as, as the man was reading John chapter 1, tells us that all things were made by Christ. Right? He is the one who has created all things. And as such then, Christ is the head of man. Christ is the reason we're all here. He is the one who has created us. 
Secondly, Paul says in verse 3, the head of woman is the man. And again, the reason for this is that woman came from man. When God created Adam, he created Adam out of the dust of the ground. When God created Eve, he created Eve where? From the side of Adam, from the, the rib of Adam. And so the, the head of all men is Christ. The head of man is Christ. The head of woman is man because, again, the woman came from man. We even see that down in verse 8. Uh, man is not from woman, but woman is from man. We'll talk about that here in a moment. Third, the third principle of headship is the head of Christ is God. Now, the word Christ here is the word Messiah or anointed one. And it, it speaks of, you know, mediation. Christ is our mediator between God and man. Jesus Christ is God's anointed one. Jesus Christ is the Messiah of God. He is the one who came from God to do the will of God. And so Christ has in that place, in that way, submitted himself, if you will, to the authority of God the Father, right, and to the will of God. So this establishes order in God's program. It does not imply inequality at all. Right? It does not imply a difference in value or in worthiness. Look at the last one. The, the head of Christ is God. Is there a difference in value between God the Father and God the Son? Wake up here this morning. You know, is that, I think the rain has just kind of got us all down today. There just seems to be a, a, a you look like you all need to take a nap. But uh, don't do it yet. Uh, is there a difference between God the Father and God the Son? Or God the Holy Spirit? Absolutely not. Is there an inequality there? No. And so God's order of things is not, a, it's not saying there's a, an inequality here. There's not a, a, a difference in value or worthiness. It's just simply God's order of things. Each one has a head. God is the head of Christ. Christ is the head of man. Man is the head of woman. And to make that something that is degrading or demeaning is really to dishonor Jesus Christ. This is simply God's order of things as he establishes them for the carrying out of his will. To resist God's order and to say, I'm not going along with that, is to question the wisdom of God and to rebel really against his purposes. And Paul says, this is God's doctrine. This is God's precept. Well, let's get into the problem then. The problem comes in verses 4 through 10. Paul has set forth this precept. Paul is speaking to them about this doctrine because a problem has arisen within the church. There's a lack of understanding about God's precept. There's a lack of understanding about God's principle here. And the problem specifically in Corinth had to do with head coverings in public worship. And again, just like the issue with idols, don't get lost in that and don't, don't say, well, you know, that's not for us today. Let's learn what we can from the, this passage. The problem in that church was uh, head coverings in public worship. The head covering was the veil in that culture. And it was a symbol of 
the acknowledgement even of God's order of authority which he had established within his creation. And what Paul is going to say to the church is this, being in Christ, now that you've come to Christ, now that you're saved, that doesn't really change God's order of things. When was God's order established? At creation. Creation occurred before what? The fall. So the, the God's order of things was established before sin ever entered into the picture. And therefore, God's order is unchanged by the work of redemption. God's order is unchanged by the fact that we've now gotten saved. This is not something that changes because we are now saved. Uh, what has changed? We're free from sin. What has changed? You know, we're one in Christ. Men and women are one in Christ. Slaves and masters are one in Christ. Jew and Gentile are one in Christ. But this has not changed God's order of things because God's order of things came before sin ever came into the picture. The redemptive work of Christ on the cross dealt with the sin problem. But acceptance of God's order predates the sin problem. And so in this culture... The, the woman's covered head was an acceptance of God's order. And in the same way, as we see here, man's uncovered head was the same acceptance of God's order. Every man, verse 4, praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. And so Paul says, in this culture, uh, you know, uh, the, the women uh, removing their veils shows that, uh, that they do not accept God's order of things, that they are rebelling against God's order of things. And in the same way, you know, for a man to cover his head, that would be doing the same thing. And so a man's uncovered head reflected his acceptance of God's order, and a woman's covered head reflected. Uh, represented the same thing. And Paul then gives us some reasons why this is true in verses 6 through 10. Look at verse 6. For if a woman is not covered, let her also then be shorn. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. It, Paul says for a woman not to have her head covered is really a shame. And why is it a shame? Because it indicates a rejection of God's order of things. If the woman rejects the veil, Paul says, which was the symbol of her womanhood, then she just might as well have her entire head shaved or, or cut short like a man's, Paul said. And again, this is a cultural issue. And in that day, that would have been considered to be disgraceful for a woman to do that. In fact, it seems to have been, as you look at that, a mark of a woman of ill repute even to have their head shaved or, or, or shorn like that. And so the veil in that culture was a symbol of the woman, a symbol of womanhood. And the Christian women in the church, Paul said, should not seek to then reject God's order of things. Don't deny God's order of things. That is a symbol of how God created you. That is a symbol of the womanhood. 
And the instruction for men comes in verse 7. And it was that he was not to cover his head. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. God made man in his image. Man is a reflection of the glory of God. And for man to cover his head, Paul says, would be uh, to veil the glory of God, the reflection of God. But there is a distinction here between men and women. God made the woman different, not of less value, not of less worth, but different. And because of that, Paul says, she then is the glory of man. And you see that at the end of verse 7. Man is the glory of God. Man reflects God's image. And and woman is the glory of man. And Paul says that's that's the way God created us. And that's the way God made, made us. And then he explains this distinction from God's creative acts. Look at verse 8. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. God made the woman out of the man. Now... Could God have made Eve from the dust of the ground? God could do whatever he wants, right? God could have made Eve the same way he made Adam, but he chose not to do that. God chose to make her out of man, so she is then a reflection of man's glory. And Paul goes on to say in verse 9 that not only was she made out of man, but she was made for man. Now, nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. You say, well, what's that all about? Well, here's the thought. God's purpose in creating Eve was to be a helper or helpmate for man. Remember the story there in, in the book of Genesis. God says to Adam, go out and name all the animals. Remember? And Adam gave them all names, horse, you know, and all that. Can you imagine naming all the animals? And when he came, what was the purpose of that? When he came to the end of that, the scripture says, but there was nothing in the animal kingdom that was found to be suitable for man to, as a partner, as a helper, as a mate. And God then said, that's not good. And he then put Adam to sleep and he created Eve as a helper, as a helpmate, as one perfectly, don't get lost in that word. Don't think that of, uh, you know, uh, as, of, of uh, not of value at all, because that simply means that she was created perfectly suited for man. This was, she was the perfect complement for what God had created in man. And so that the two now would function in perfect harmony. You know, uh, none of, none of the, the animals would function in perfect harmony with man. And so God created woman. God created Eve, and she was perfectly suited for man. She was the perfect complement for man. And so in that sense then, She is the crowning glory of man. She is the fulfillment of man. She is the perfect complement to man. And Paul then goes on to give us a very difficult verse in 
at 22 minutes after nine. We're not even going to get into it much. But it says, for this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Uh, God, Paul gives the, this creative order and the purpose as the reason why the woman ought to continue to acknowledge this order by covering her head in worship. Uh, the head covering was the symbol of authority. It was the symbol of God's created order. And, you know, and, and, and he says, you know, don't mess that up. You know, the, the angels, he mentions the angels here, and that's somewhat difficult to understand. But, but maybe we could see it this way. The angels are simply the custodians of God's created order. They were the declarers of God's order. And Paul says, you know, don't be an offense to the angels. Let me relate it to our culture for a moment. One of the things that I think is very apt for us today and really speaks to this is the Bible is not a unisex Bible, all right? God is not a unisex God. Christians are not to promote, you know, just one sex. What is our world trying to do today? We're trying to get away from gender. We don't want to be male. We don't want to be female, and, and while there may be differences in our culture and this culture, the truth is, is the, the same. God has created us men and women, and that is the way we are to be. God does not, you know, do away with gender. God, our culture wants to do away with that. Our culture uh, seeks to be gender, gender neutral. But that is actually a rebellion against God. And that is a rebellion against God's orders of things. And that's a problem. And the church should never be caught up in that. We, we should never want to blur the genders. God has created us, men and women. And that is God's order of things. Well, we have to hurry on here. The proper perspective comes in verses 11 through 16. Having said what he wanted to say, Paul now wants to balance this out. He wants to encourage balance. He doesn't want them to, to, to take what he has said and mean more than he intended or not to see everything that he wants them to see. And so he gives them a proper perspective. And he begins in verses 11 and 12 by saying, the perspective is that this is not to make inequality between men and women. This is only dealing with the issue of God's order. Nevertheless, verse 11, neither is man independent of woman nor woman independent of man in the Lord. For as woman came from man, even so men also comes through woman, but all things are from God. You know, Paul is not trying to say man, man is better than woman. Uh, man is independent of woman uh, and that she is dependent on him. That's not the point of this passage at all. What he's talking about actually is a mutual dependence. Uh, for here, both are part of God's whole. And as women came from, woman came from man in creation, as, as Eve came from Adam's body in creation, man now comes from woman in birth, in procreation. And, and it's not that one is independent of the other. Uh, God has ordained this order and he brought into being both man and woman. He's the author of creation. He's also the author of procreation. 
He's the one who provides children for us. God has made man and woman separate, yet dependent on one another. Not to function in their own sphere. They were equal before God, yet filling their own place in God's order of things. And that brings Paul to a conclusion. And as he concludes his instructions, he appeals to three things. Three common, uh, common things. First of all, he appeals to common logic. Look at verse 13. Judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Judge Paul says, this is just common logic. This practice is generally recognized in our culture as being improper. Uh, for, Paul is saying, for a woman to come to church, in the, the church at Corinth, in that culture, and, and pray to God with her head uncovered, in that culture, it would have been improper. It, it would have been wrong. It would have been improper for her to do that. And so Paul says, think of it this way. As a woman is seeking to approach God in worship, and as she seeks to enter into the very presence of God in prayer, does it seem proper that she should do that, that she should approach God in a way that demonstrates her refusal to accept God's order of authority? How can she possibly come and expect God to hear her prayer when, when she is rejecting God's order of, of things? Paul says it's common logic. By doing so, she's seeking to be like man rather than accepting the position God has ordained. Secondly, he says it's, it's common law. Look at verse 14. He says, does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a dishonor to him? Boy, that was quoted to me when I was a younger, young, younger person. See, see what happened to me then? But if a woman has long hair, it is her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. Paul says nature itself backs up this position. Uh, you know, a woman's hair is different from man's. It's a natural indication of God's order. God has given woman a natural covering, which is a glory crown to her. Man is not to be like woman. Woman is not to be like man. And I really think that that's the, the ba basic, you know, thing that we can learn from these verses. Again, our gender-neutral world is just another indication of man's departure from God. Man's rebellion against God. And the fact that, that we want to do away with gender indicates that we are in rebellion against God. And, and Paul says here, there, there, that's not even common law. Then there's the last thing in verse 16, the appeal to common practice. And he says, but if anyone seems to be contentious, verse 16, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. And, and what Paul is saying there in verse 16 is, hey, Corinthians, this is not just for you. This is what we teach in all the churches because this is God's precept. This is common practice among God's people. Men and women who are believers need to recognize God's order of things. And that order does not indicate value or worth or anything it's just God's order of of creation 
And that has not been abolished, Paul says, in Christ, but rather it is to be clearly seen in a recognizable fashion within the worship of the church. You know, we can apply this in many ways to our own lives, and, and we don't have time for that. We are, we've already run out of time, if you will, but we can apply that in many, many ways. But as I think about that, you know, I think about in our own lives, how many times do we come to worship? with open rebellion in our heart, with open sin in our lives, and we expect God to be pleased with us. You know, here's what God says, and we're not doing it, but we walk through those doors and we expect God to be pleased with the fact that we're here, pleased with the fact that we're worshiping, pleased with the fact, you know, that we want to come to him. But see, that, that's, that's false worship because that's trying to come to God on our terms. That's trying to come to God in our way. That's trying to come to God the way that we think we ought to. That God ought to just accept us for, for who we are and for what we're doing. And he ought to just be pleased that we're here. You know, God has an order of things. And God wants us to accept his order of things. God wants us to obey his word. God wants us to live in a way that is pleasing to him. And so don't get lost in this head covering, non-head covering. We don't do that today. But my question to you is this. Are you accepting God's order of things and are you accepting what God says in his word as the final authority? And are you trying to live the way God wants us to live? How can we approach God if we're not even accepting his way of things? You know, God's word is vitally, vitally important to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and even for a passage of scripture that's maybe difficult for us, maybe confusing, maybe to some degree, some of us not even sure it's that important. Lord, help us to see it is vitally important that we accept your order of things, that we are always in submission to what your word says. And Lord, I just pray that, that we would see that even here this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information on our church located in Cumberland, Maryland, please go to cumberlandcornerstone.org.